Good morning. My name is Eric. The Old Testament reading is found in Psalm 61, verses 1 through 4. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth, I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hello, my name is Lore. The New Testament reading is found in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 19. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in every situation because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't suppress the spirit. The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Tracy Harmon. If you are able to, please stand for the gospel reading. Today it's going to be found in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished One of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And Jesus told them, when you pray, say, Father, uphold the holiness of your name. Bring in your kingdom. Give us the bread we need today. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who has wronged us. And don't lead us into temptation. The gospel of the Lord. Amen. Would you remain standing as we pray? Jesus, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for the way that you speak to us. We're asking now, however we find ourselves this morning, we ask that you would come and meet us in this place. Uh, Places where we feel overwhelmed. Places where we feel light or when we feel heaviness. In all of it, come Holy Spirit and let your word bring light and life to us this morning. We pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and everybody said amen. You may be seated. Good morning everybody. Happy New Year to you. This is also I think the ninth day of Christmas and the second Sunday of Christmas. If you're wondering where the 12 days of Christmas are, they start on December 25th and keep going. If you haven't taken down your tree yet, great. you got a few more days. Uh, if you want an excuse to keep eating those Christmas desserts, there you go. Keep feasting. There's a few more days. I know I'm always looking for an excuse. You know, it's like that scene in Peter Rabbit. The diet starts now. And they take one more bite. Now. And one more bite. Now. You know, so the feast can go on for a few more days. Um, You don't have to start your diet yet. Speaking of diet, I don't know what New Year's resolutions you've made or if you've made any goals about I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And I, I, you know, I think these are tricky things because it's it's great to have goals, but we've all figured out that some goals stick and others don't. Um, 15 years ago or so, 2007, right after we had had Our second child, my wife, and some friends of hers decided they were going to train for a half marathon. Now, I have permission to tell this story, okay? I just want you to know. First service was like, are you dogging on your wife? I'm not dogging on my wife. Because here's the thing. She trained for the half marathon. I slept in, you know? Like, she ran. I did not. 
So she went all of most of the year, 2007 training, getting up early, running miles and, and adding distance each time. And in that fall of 2007, she and some friends, they flew out to San Francisco and there, you could run a half or a full. And she ran the half marathon there, crossed the Golden Gate Bridge, got the little medal, framed it in a shadow box. It was, it was awesome. I was like, yeah, babe. And then she never ran again. Now, this is why I had to warn you that I had permission to tell this story. She, she will often tell the story. And it's not that she doesn't run. Obviously, there's, there's other things. But, but that same sort of rigor of running miles and miles at a time, it's just not part of her life. And we talk about that moment and we laugh because one of the things you, you learn about the way our human psychology works is that when habits are about a goal, they usually fade away after you reach that goal. Uh, in fact, this was written about by a journalist, I think a business writer named James Clear in his book, Atomic Habits. If you've ever read the book, he talks about this. The habits that are about a goal fall away when the goal is reached, but the habits that are about identity stay. So all of you that trained for a marathon and the, or a half marathon or whatever it was, but something actually fundamentally changed in your identity, you continue to run because you say, I run because I'm a runner. <laughs> I am not that. <laughs> and, and, but there are others of us that you're like, you know, I started doing this thing and then it changed from just being about a goal to being about my identity. And this is now who I am. Now there's Christian versions of this. You could read your Bible to read it all in a year. And that's okay. That's a fine plan. Read the Bible in one year. It's a little bit overwhelming, but lots of people do it and that can be okay. But here would be, here's what the worst thing would be is you do that, you finish the year and you're like, man, I'm never reading that again. <laughs> Like, whoo, got through that, one and done. A better habit would be to say, I'm going to read the Bible because I want to know God and I'm a child of God. And so a habit that is about a goal will fade away, but a habit that's about an identity will stick. This morning I want to talk to us about becoming a people of prayer. Becoming a people of prayer, not praying more, not having more prayer lists or prayer times or attending more prayer meetings, but rather becoming a person of prayer. And as a church, this notion of being a praying church is actually deeply embedded in our identity as New Life Church. If you've uh, been with New Life Downtown for a little while, maybe you remember that uh, stretch of time last fall when we were meeting in the World Prayer Center up at the North Campus. That prayer center was built to facilitate prayer for all nations, where we pray for the nations, and prayer from all nations, where the nations come and visit and pray. And that has gone on for a lot of years. And yet, there is this moment, we're in this moment of our church's life where we feel as a, a leadership team to say, I think the Lord wants to reinvigorate prayer as part of who we are. And so one of the things, again, when you, when you know that this is kind of who you are, you can choose some practices that go along with that identity. And so starting next week on Monday, January 10th, so not this upcoming week, but the week after that, we're going to do these prayer meetings Monday through Thursday. They're, they're, they're going to be four days a week, two prayer meetings a day, so eight total, 7.30 a.m. to 8.30 a.m. or noon to 1 p.m. Now, you can come to any of them. You can come to all of them. You could come to none of them. It's okay. 
the New Life Downtown team, we're going to try to help facilitate and lead the Thursday morning ones at 7.30 a.m. Now, as you look at this and you're, you're thinking, well, well, hey, could we do something downtown? And what about the commons? And what about, I, I'm really passionate about an 11 p.m. prayer on Friday nights. More power to you. I mean, you might look at this and think, well, what about this and what about this? Here's what, we, here's what often happens is sometimes, especially the beginning of a calendar year, there's zeal for stuff and you start too many new things. And then it all fizzles out. So what we want to do is just, we're going to make this real simple. Eight. There's eight prayer meetings. And we're going to make all eight great. There you go. And you can just choose one of them. And maybe as momentum gets going and this gets in our rhythm as a church, maybe a year from now you'll be like, we need to add more prayer meetings. And we meet, that, that might be great. But let's make these eight really strong and really firm. So the, the invitation to you is to pick one of them if they work with your schedule. It, it's okay if they don't. Just know that we'll be there at the very least on Thursday mornings at 7.30 a.m. for an hour. Now, I say this and I've already told you that we're going to talk about becoming a people of prayer. Now I'm telling you about some prayer meetings and already I can feel you shrinking back. Like, oh no, I'm already overwhelmed because I didn't need to come to church this morning and feel like a loser because I struggle with prayer. As I've thought about this over the years from my own life and from the stories that I hear people often share with me as a pastor, there are a few common objections to prayer or really to becoming a person of prayer. And I want to just name them for you. Our objections to becoming a person of prayer. Objection number one, I don't know how to pray. Like, Glenn, I've kind of, you know, I'm new to this thing. I just started, like, coming to church. And, I mean, can we really do that? Isn't that for the professionals? Or you think, I've actually been in church a long time, but usually someone else is praying and I'm, my part is to nod. Like, that's what I do. Objection number two is not that I don't know how, but I don't have time to pray. Like, come on, dude. That's what we pay you for. <laughs> you know, like you outsource your accounting, you outsource your HR for your business, and you're outsourcing your prayer life. Like, that's the whole point of putting money in the bucket, right? <laughs> like, you're supposed to pray, Pastor. We do pray, and we're very grateful to be able to have times of prayer as part of our workflow. And I am sensitive to the realities of your life and the demands of your work. And you're like, dude, I'm like, my first Zoom meeting is at 7 a.m. or I'm on a plane every Monday. I, I get it. And so this is often a very real objection. I don't have time. I can't commit an hour. Jesus says, could you not tarry one hour? You're like, no, I can't, okay? Stop asking. <laughs> objection number three, and this is where it really gets real. <laughs> I don't think prayer really matters. Oftentimes, the first two are kind of our instant reactions and objections. No, 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 I don't know how or I don't have time. But deeper down, there's this darker objection where we say, actually, honestly, does it matter? Like, what difference does it make if I pray or don't pray? So this morning, I want to work through these three objections. And along each one, I'm going to, I'm going to name the objection. I'm going to give a statement about God and about prayer. And then I'm going to offer a practice that can help you with this. So if you're a note taker, that, that's, that'll kind of help you as you go along here. We're going to take this in three movements, each objection at a time. I'm going to give you the objection, a statement about prayer, and then a practice. Objection number one, I don't know how to pray. 
Luke 11, verse 1, we heard this read this morning. I want you to hear it again. It says this, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray as John taught his disciples. I love this because it means that we don't have to assume or we shouldn't assume that we ought to just know how to pray. We shouldn't assume that doesn't everybody know how to pray? That if you raise your hand and said, excuse me, teacher, teach us how to pray. Jesus isn't, isn't going to say, <laughs> and maybe some of you have like elementary school trauma, you know, where the teacher is like called on you for the answer and you're like, I have no clue what the answer is. The good news is when it comes to prayer, we're all novices. We're all students who need to learn how to pray. And Jesus, I love this because it says Jesus was praying in a certain place. The disciples saw him and maybe they overheard him and maybe they were like, man, listen to the way he prays. Like, how do we do that? I also think it's curious that Paul in his letters in includes his prayers. You know, if you imagine Paul writing his letters or maybe dictating them to a scribe while he's in prison, isn't it odd? I mean, Paul could have said, hey, don't write this down. I'm just going to pray for a moment and then, okay, now write down this part. This is the theological part. But it is, isn't it interesting that Paul just starts praying and he's like, write down the prayer too. And so we have all of these letters from Paul that don't just contain information or instruction or doctrine or theology, but that give us an insight into Paul's prayer life. What that says to me is that prayer is a learned language. Prayer is a learned language. It doesn't really come naturally to us. Now, that's not totally true. Because there is a kind of, there are a few sort of primal instinct prayers. The prayers that just come out of a person uh, in different moments in life. Think, for example, when you're like, you know, driving on the road and, and God forbid, but it's icy or whatever. And you're like, ah, what comes out of you a lot of times? Oh my God, or God help me or help. Those are these gut level prayers that just come out of you. And then if you avoid the wreck, you go, oh, thank God. Some of you, you're like, you know, you, you had a cold or whatever and you had to buy like a at-home test just to make sure you could do your Christmas plans, or, you know, and it came back negative and you're like, oh, thank God. We say these prayers reflexively, help, thank God. Or sometimes maybe you find yourself looking at a beautiful sunset here in Colorado and Pikes Peak in front of it silhouetted and you say, wow, that's kind of a prayer. There are these gut level prayers that come out of us, even come out of people that aren't overtly religious. Help me, God. Thank God. Wow. These prayers that come out of us. But I want to suggest to you that it's one thing to pray at that guttural level when you begin. But the invitation of life with God is to grow in your prayer. It's a little bit like a baby. You know, we do every month here, we do a dedication of children and babies up here at New Life Downtown. And sometimes, you know, the parents will be holding the baby and the baby's squirming and everybody's here and we're taking pictures and Jason and I are praying over these families and we're like, all these things Jesus did for you and you do not know it yet. And the baby's like, la, 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 la. And the parents like, oh my gosh, you know. Like, it's okay. The baby's just praying too, you know, praying with us. And every parent... Typically, when, the, when, a, when your baby starts making noises and starts making sounds, you're like, this is awesome. They're the cutest. They're the best. But your hope for them is that unintelligible sounds become words. 
and that words become language, sentences, and then that they choose the right sentences in the right moments. That's all part of maturation. Take the sounds and make them words. Take the words and make them sentences. And then take the sentences and use them in the right settings, please. Now is when you say please and thank you. Now is where you look someone in the eye and say good morning. Now is when you... And we tra- it's all part of maturation. In the spiritual life, it's one thing to begin our life with God and say, oh, help. Or like the story Jesus told of the man who said, oh, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Great place to start. But where do we go from there? And some of us have been only told, pray what's in your heart. And you, it's a great way to start. But if that's all we've done is praying what's in our heart, then you end up being 5, 10, 15 years down the road as a Christian and your prayers sound like a spiritual baby. And what I mean by that is not that you're not sophisticated. What I mean is they sound like the whiny cries of a baby. Oh, God, I want that. Oh, God, how come? And you're like, what's going on here? Like you're praying, but it's not the language of a mature person. Does that make sense? Prayer is a learned language and we're meant to sort of start with this guttural stuff but then learn the language of prayer. And how do we do that? I want to suggest a practice that really the people of God in the Old Testament did for a thousand years or more and then in the the New Testament Christians have done for 2,000 years and that is to pray the Psalms. I don't know how many of you remember this but when the pandemic first began uh, in the spring of 2020, we, we had throughout the summer, I think is when we started it, uh, in our closed New Life Downtown Facebook group, we began to pray the Psalms on weekday mornings. Anyone remember joining us on that? And if you haven't joined our private Facebook group for New Life Downtown, you're welcome to do that. We'd love to add you to it. Sometimes there's needs and community stuff that's being shared on there. But we used it during the weekdays where Jason or myself or Evan or some others would get up on a, on a weekday morning at 8 a.m. and they'd just read some of the Psalms and they would read it and they would stop and then say a few prayers out of it and then people would chime in on the comments and, and this is how we learn the language of prayer. But if you think, oh, that sounds weird, like how, how, how does that work? Like what does that actually look like? Okay, have any of you bought a greeting card for someone from the store? Walgreens, anybody? Yeah, go to the group, you buy a card, you give it to a friend. Maybe it's a birthday card, anniversary card, get well soon card. Have any of you, don't raise your hands for this part, have any of you just bought the card and just given it to the person? Like without writing in it? Don't raise your hands. No shame. You can repent later. No, because we don't do that. You find the card and it's like, oh, this is great. Look at those four lines that rhyme. I mean, it's a little bit cheesy, but I like it. And then you just, what do you do? You typically add their name and then you add something. Hey, thinking about you. And then you sign it. It may not be many, much more than like a line or two, but you add it to, that's what praying the Psalms is like. You've got these pre-written cards for you. Like pre-written, the word of God contains cards. I don't know what to say. It's right there. 150 cards written for you. But just add a few of your lines, would you? So Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Oh Lord, I really want to trust that I have everything that I need right now. But I really do need some things. And you just say a line or two. He leads me besides, uh, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And then you pause. Okay, Lord. I'm a little bit stressed out right now. Could you lead me to green pastures? Could you lead me beside quiet waters? 
Could you restore my soul? And it's as simple as that. Add in a line or two, and then you just keep going. That's what it looks like to pray the Psalms. And if you do that, as Christians have done for a couple thousand years, you'll find that all of a sudden the language of the Psalms gets into your language. And you start praying things. You're like, oh, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm desperate for you like I'm in a dry and weary land. You're like, oh, where did that come from? Oh, that was Psalm 63. And you're like, oh, Lord, I just want to be with you like it's better to be with you than a thousand days elsewhere. I've heard that. Oh, that's Psalm 84. And all of a sudden you pray the Psalms and it becomes, its language becomes your language. We learn to speak by being spoken to. We learn to pray by praying the word God has spoken to us. Objection number two is, but I don't have time to pray. Like, okay, okay, okay. And now you tell me how, great. But I just don't have time to do that. It just sounds like a lot of work. 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul writes, Rejoice always, pray continually, continually. Like, oh no, now we went for, from <laughs> pray an hour to pray continually? Like, I'm sorry, what? Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the, God's will in Christ Jesus. And I love this last part, do not quench the spirit. And I've often thought of that verse as like, we got to be careful like the Holy Spirit will be spooked and fly away like a dove or something, like a bird. Like, oh, don't move. Oh, you, oh, why'd you do that? But I think this idea where Paul's saying, pray continually. He's saying, the Spirit of God is in you like a bubbling water. Hey, that's what Jesus said in John 7, that, that it's streams of living water and that really you have to work to suppress it. You have to work to quench it. But imagine going through your day, waking up tomorrow morning and you're like, ooh, the Holy Spirit's already stirred up in me. And instead of quenching it, I'm just going to pray. So you're, you find yourself between appointments, you find yourself between the, doing the dishes or laundry or whatever, and you're like, oh, Lord, thank you for this day, Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord. And it's just like that, it's like a phrase. You know what you're doing? You're just keeping it bubbling. It's just bubbling. It's just right there. Instead of saying, just got to keep that down. Save that for Sundays, brother. <laughs> or I had my quiet time. Now whoop, put a lid on it. And Paul says, no, no, pray continually. In all circumstances, give thanks. Don't suppress the spirit. Don't quench the spirit. It's another way of saying there's a river of life already in you. There's springs of living water already in you. It's called the Holy Spirit. You don't have to do anything to get it. If you belong to Jesus, it's already yours. The main thing is don't, don't turn off the tap. Don't put a lid on this fountain that's bubbling up. Just say, just throughout the day, or going, going throughout it, just like, Lord, thank you today. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Man, thanks for being with me today. It's as simple as that. We start to pray. In Philippians, Paul says it this way. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. And then he says this beautiful little phrase, sentence. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Think of this passage as all going together. Paul's saying, rejoice always. Be gentle. And hey, the Lord is near. Like, he's right there. How often do we go through the day with anxiety because we've forgotten that the Lord is near? 
How often do we go through the stresses of a day full of meetings or travel or airports and parking lots and carpool lines and laundry and dishes and screaming kids and we're like, ah, I've got to hold this. I've got to keep it all together instead of remembering, oh, there you are. There's G- Jesus is right there. I mean, could you imagine if you had like the eyes of spiritual imagination to see what Paul is saying? The, the, the Lord is here. He's like right there. Oh, well, I'm just going to talk to him then. Right. Just talk to him about everything. So, Lord, this is what's going on and this is what's going on and this is what's going on. The statement that we want to make here to this objection is that prayer can actually happen throughout your day. Maybe you feel like, I don't have the luxury of setting aside a lot of time to pray. Okay, I get that. It could be as you're getting ready for the day. It could be as you're in your car. It could be in between things. But let it keep bubbling up. Let it happen throughout. You know, a lot of, a, a lot of couples will set aside in their, in their marriage like a, a date night. You know, and that's good. It's a, it's a good practice. Sometimes you're like, well, it's like once a month. That's fine. But imagine if I talked to a couple after church one day and they're like, hey, we're, we're, we're really getting better. We're doing a date night. It's like once a week. Like, oh, that, that's wonderful. That's awesome. And then you're like, but how's your marriage? And you're like, well, I don't know. My marriage just isn't, it's just, we're just not connecting. And as I discover more, come to find out the only time they talk is on their dates. <laughs> you, th- you think that was a bit odd, right? I'm like, well, when's your date night? It's Friday. Great. How's Monday? It's, I mean, we don't really talk. How's Tuesday? Awkward. Wednesday? Super cold. But Fridays, man, woo we just talk like crazy. Like, okay, man, it's great that you have dates, but like, just maybe like also talk throughout the day about other stuff. Maybe like call each other, text each other. Communication. We would think this is lunacy to live a marriage like that, right? But we live with God like that. I go, Sunday, I can't wait to get my praise on. Oh, Jesus, woohoo! And then you're like, Monday, like, okay, let's go. Let's just get back to work. Head down, grinding. And Jesus is like, the Lord is near. Bring your petitions and requests to him. And you're like, I don't don't know if I want to bring my petitions and requests to him. I'm just, I'm just, but Paul says, look, when you do that, when you do that, all of your anxiety, the, the, the things that we worry about can go away and the peace of the Lord can begin to guard our minds. There's a couple simple practices I want to suggest to you. One is, this practice called P-R-A-Y. Our friend Pete Gregg, who started the 24-7 prayer movement, it's all around the world. And, and in fact, a lot of our prayer initiatives here are going to be connected to their work. But uh, Pete has spent decades helping people pray and calling people to prayer and igniting, igniting prayer movements and prayer rooms and all of that. And he wrote a simple little book. You heard him speak here a couple summers ago. The book is called How to Pray. And in it, he just works with the simple acronym P-R-A-Y. And the P is pause. Just pause for a few seconds. And the R is rejoice. And the A is ask. And the Y is yield or Yes. And it could be as simple as this, okay? So, so just to give you a little imagination of this. You're in between things. You're waiting in the carpool line. You're shuttling between meetings. And all of a sudden you're like, I'm just going to pause. Just like 10 seconds. And then you just rejoice. Like, Lord, thank you that I have a job. It's a bit stressful, but thank you for this day. Thank you that you're with me today. 
And then A, Lord, just help me as I go into this next thing to angry customer, disgruntled client. Just help me, Lord, to be calm and respectful. And then why? I yield to you, Lord. I'm yours. That's it. Maybe that took 30 seconds. Maybe that took 60 seconds. But that's a, that's a practice that you could just say throughout your day in those moments. I'll just pause to P-R-A-Y. There's an app that the 24-7 prayer crew has created called Lectio 365. There's a morning prayer and an evening prayer. And this can help both with our first objection, I don't know how. And, but it can also help with I don't have time. You're like, I, I'm in my commute. Okay, put your AirPods in. Maybe not if you're driving. Just have those in your car speaker maybe, you know. And, and listen to it. Ten minutes in the morning. I think it's like seven or eight minutes in the evening. And let that be a guide just to have your day saturated in this. The goal is not to, to say, I prayed X amount of hours. The goal is to say, I'm learning to just talk to God. I'm learning to just talk to him about everything. Years ago when I was younger, I used to, I used to think it was funny that people would pray for like close parking spaces. Uh, and then I heard Pete preach on this and he said he had friends that would pray for like flies to go, mosquitoes to go away when they were having a picnic. And he was like, how can you do that? There's like global hunger and poverty and you're praying for flies to not interrupt your picnic, you know. And then he realized you can pray that same prayer out of two different postures, right? One posture could be entitlement. Lord, get these flies out of here. I cast these out, yeah. The other, the other could just be like, God is near. And I'm just going to talk to him about all my concerns. So Lord, would you help with this? Lord, would you help? I mean, honestly, guys, I find myself praying at my son's soccer games when I know he's had a rough go. I'm like, Lord, it'd be great if he could score today. But you know what? If he doesn't score, I'm not like, why, God? And if he does score, I'm not like, that's it. I know the key to a winning season. My prayer life. No, it's not weird like that. It's just, I love the Lord and I know the Lord loves me and the Lord is near and I'm just going to talk to him about everything that's on my heart. Can you do that? That's what it's like, praying throughout the day. Objection number three is our most serious one and I've saved it for the end. I don't think prayer really matters. Oftentimes we feel this way because we've had unanswered prayer. We've had things that we've been asking God for a long time and we just... Haven't seen a change. Paul, in one of his most beautiful sections of prayer in his letters, Ephesians 3, says this. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. For what reason, Paul? Why are you kneeling before the Father? He says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Oh, you're showing us connection. Why do you pray? Because this is our connectedness. This is our family's identity. You're our Father. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that being rooted and established in love, you may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Why are you praying, Paul? Because the Father is the source from whom every family gets his name. This is our family identity. Why? What are you praying for, Paul? I'm praying that Christ is going to take up residence in you. I'm praying that you'll be rooted in love so when life hits you with storms and winds that blow you down, you'll stay strong. I'm praying 
that you'll be filled with the fullness of God. In the end, what Paul is saying to us is we don't pray so that we can become less dependent on God. We pray so that we can become more dependent on God. And that's the difference between prayer and magic. You know, prayer is not some sort of Harry Potter charm that if you just say it right, it will work. Wingardium Leviosa, Ron, with the wrist like that. Oh. (laughs) Magic works like this. As soon as you figure it out, you don't need anything. Okay, good, I'm done. Put the genie back in the bottle. I'm all good now. Crisis over. But prayer works like this. The more you pray, the more you realize you need God. The more you pray, the more you realize, like we sang earlier, I depend on you. I depend on you. It is a paradox. You're like, I thought I pray only when I need God. Like, no, it's a funny thing happens when you pray. You start to realize, oh, it's your strength. It's your glorious riches in the poverty of my spirit. It's your power when I am powerless. It's you, your love that roots me. And then he goes on in verse 20 and Paul says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work. Where is his power at work? Within us. To him be the glory, where? In the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Here's the mystery of prayer. God is able to do more than we could ever ask or imagine. But where God does his work? is in us and through us. God, you could snap your fingers and like make everybody have visions of Jesus, but you call us to be missionaries. You could like say the word and all of a sudden there'd be revival, but instead you want us to learn the practice of hospitality and evangelism. God, you could do this and you could do that, but yet your abundant power is made known through your church. So that God is glorified how? In the church. The third and final thing I want to say to us is that prayer is actually participation in God's work. And this makes it so we can be less fixated about outcomes. Because here we are saying, God, I am participating with you. I'm not a servant working for you. I'm a child of God working with you. And you could do this on your own, and yet somehow you've chosen to work with us. We did a series in the book of Ruth a couple months ago, and I was listening to a sermon by one of the pastors at New Life Midtown, Jonathan Swindle, and he talked about how all of the prayers in the book of Ruth are answered by people. Naomi prays something for Ruth, she becomes part of the answer for that. Boaz prays something over Ruth, he becomes part of the answer for that. People start to become, and this is the thing we want to say, either I pray or I work. And some of you think like this, you're like, this is a nice sermon on prayer, Glenn, but I'm more of a doer. Like, y'all can pray and be cute, I'm going to go get stuff done. But in the scripture, it's, we're the same people. The people who pray, Go. And the people who go, pray. It, it's all, it all bleeds together. That God asks us to join him in his work. Last night, Jane, our youngest, was like, Dad, can you make some fried potatoes to go along with the meal? I was like, sure. And then she goes, I want to help you peel the potatoes. She asked, and then she worked. Now, I could have peeled the potatoes faster. I could have. I could have. 
And several times I was like, honey, honey do, do you want me to take over? She's like, no, dad, I got it. You know. <laughs> and I wonder if that's a little, God, God knows he could do his work on earth probably less messily without us. But he doesn't. He chose you. He chose me. He chose the church. Why do we want to be a praying church? So we can be a church on mission with Jesus this year. So that we can be a church that sees our communities change this year. Sees our neighborhoods change this year. Prayer is participation in God's work. When we think about this, the other error that we sometimes fall into is to think that prayer doesn't actually change anything. Prayer just changes me. Have you heard that one? Well, prayer just changes me. So you're like, well, okay. Or the other extreme is prayer will change everything. Prayer always changes my circumstances. I was 18 when I heard a televangelist announce to the room that I was in that you put money in a Coke machine and you expect a Coke to come out. And so why would you expect any different? When you give money to God, why wouldn't you expect the miracle to follow? And I was like, man, dude, I'm only 18, but I think it's because God's not a Coke machine. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I haven't finished all my theology classes yet, but like, just pretty sure it doesn't work. But we're tempted into one of those things. Well, if prayer is participation with God's work, then either it's he's changing me or he's changing everything. And there's a bit more of a wildness to it than that. There's more of a mystery to it than that. If you're pressing me and you say, Glenn, well, why are some prayers answered and others not? I, I don't know. But I do know that the reward of prayer is that we got to participate with God. We got to be with him. And that's why the final practice in this list of practices is the practice of coming to the Lord's table. You don't automatically think of the Lord's table as a practice of prayer, but there's all kinds of prayers that we say at the Lord's table. We say prayers that have been written by other Christians. We pray our own prayers. We, we, we enter into thanksgiving and petitions. But above all, we remember at the Lord's table that you're a child of God. Like your seat is not groveling and saying, oh, God. Your seat is like at the table of the king. So when you say, I'm praying, you're praying from a seat at the table. You're not praying from outside the room where it happens saying, oh, God, please. You're praying from the table saying, Jesus, Father, Spirit, I'm drawn up into your fellowship table. So I'm just going to just talk about what's on my heart right now. And I want you to talk about what's on your heart, Lord. And all of a sudden, back and forth it goes. And prayer is a way of participating in God's word. Would you bow your heads this morning as the worship team comes and we get ready to come to the table? Prayer is our participation in the work of the Lord. So Lord, we pray this morning that you would work in our hearts. That you would draw us to yourself, that you would rekindle something in us for those of us who don't really know how to pray, that you would teach us. For those of us that feel like we're too overwhelmed to pray, would you help us to find even those breath prayers throughout? And for those of us who are discouraged about whether it even matters if we pray, remind us that as children of God, we sit, we sit at your table and boldly commune with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Come, Lord.